pastors Michael and Brenda Brunzo welcome you and thank you for listening to the following message. This message was recorded during a regular service at Faith Fellowship Church. The Bible tells us in Romans 10:17, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. So we believe this message will encourage and strengthen you in your daily walk of faith. God bless you as you listen. Hallelujah. Turn with me, if you will, to James chapter 3 this morning. I want to talk to you about the amazing power of little things. The amazing power of little things. And that is the title of my message this morning. In particular, a little but very powerful member of the body called the tongue. We're going to read verses 1 through 12. I'll be reading from the King James. James chapter 3, verses 1 through 12. My brethren, be not met. Wait, let me just say this before we get started. We're going to take this line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little, there a little. But we're going to analyze this passage of Scripture that we're talking about this morning. And we're going to make sure that we can extract out of it, at least at this point in time, Every piece of revelation that we can get. All the understanding that we can get from here. I've been meditating on it for a while and the Lord's been imparting things into my spirit and I'm going to share them with you this morning. He says, my brethren, sistren, be not many masters or teachers knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation or judgment for what we teach. And this is not just talking about the five-fold ministry, apostles, evangelists, uh, uh, prophets, pastors, and teachers. This is talking about anybody that teaches what God says about his word or, or the word of God. And this could be you teaching or advising your children on the word of God or maybe co-workers or friends. Or it might even be you teaching a Bible study or uh, just talking to somebody on the phone. If you're going to share God's word then you need to be careful that you share it correctly. Amen? Uh, he's not trying to discourage teachers. What he's trying to let us know is that teaching brings with it responsibility and accountability. So don't just be throwing your words out there, teaching or telling people uh, things that are wrong, like healing isn't for, day, for today, and the baptism in the Holy Spirit is not for today, and that... Uh, uh, tongues is of the devil or there is no hell uh, these are popular teachings nowadays there is no hell uh, that uh, you know your sin was forgiven once and for all which is correct but there are certain things that you have to do God didn't die on the cross so you could stay the way that you are he died on the cross to save our souls and and uh, uh, renew our spirits and uh, give us new life and eternal life but you have to do something in return. Yes, this is not no accountability, no fault religion. Right. This is about a relationship with somebody that loves you and that you love. And you should have enough respect and esteem for him and the things that he says that you'll not misquote him because it hurts your feelings or something or because you don't agree with something God says. That doesn't change his word. Amen. And uh, he's telling you that if you do teach like that or you hurt somebody with your teaching, you're going to be judged for it. Amen? 
Then on the other hand, if you teach right and you help somebody with your teaching, you'll be rewarded. But that's why he said you'd be judged for what you teach or that there will be, be consequences for it. And then in verse 2, he says, For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word or with the things that he says, he's not just talking about the teachers here, but now he's talking about anybody that speaks something. He's going to be responsible for his words. He says, The same is a perfect man and able to bridle the whole body. So this word perfect is not talking about perfection or someone who never makes mistakes. It means someone with self-control, someone that is fully developed. It means somebody that is mature in the things of God, complete. And, and James said, a man like this, a mature man, is able to bridle or control his whole body. That's a disciplined man. And any one of us can be that. Any one of us can be disciplined. So that word bridle means a line, a rope, or like the reins on a bridle that controls a big horse. It's something that gives direction or controls or, or changes something. Uh, you could call uh, the cables on an airplane that go back to the rudders and cause the rudders to turn and stuff like that and flap up and down. That could be called a bridle. Uh, any type of steering gear. It can be called a bridle. Any part of that steering gear can be called a bridle because it, it helps to control something. And he says that this man can control his whole body. And then James gives us some examples. He says in verse 3, Behold, we put bits in the horses' mouths that they may obey us, and we turn about their whole body. So a bit is just a little part of a bridle it's the part that goes in the horse's mouth and i know there's other mechanisms and apparatuses and stuff that uh, including the reins and stuff and the thing that goes over his head and straps on but the bit is just a little part of that apparatus and again it's talking about controlling something and the word bit is defined as something small it's a piece a portion a segment a section or a little part in other words, it's something little. Then James is telling us that this little bit has the ability to control the power, the speed, and direction of a 2,000-pound horse. And you say, well, a, bri a bridle is or a bit is pretty big. About this big goes in the mouth. Yeah, but in comparison to what it's controlling, that's something that's very little. I mean, I'm just impressed with the amazing power of little things and that's what James is letting us know here don't misjudge something because it's little he says in verse 4 behold also the ships here's another example like with the horse also the ships which though they be so great and are driven of fierce or powerful winds yet are they turned about with a very small or little helm Whithersoever the governor lists or wants it to go, wherever the captain wants it to go, uh, he uses that helm. And again, helm is a lot like bridle because it consists of all the steering parts of that ship. The wheel, the cables, the rudder, the uh, uh, parts that move and control the direction of that rudder. Uh, 
And uh, here in particular, he's talking about the rudder itself. And again, it's something that gives direction or controls the direction of something. And uh, this rudder is relatively little. I know it's big to us if we're standing next to it, but in comparison to the size of this great ship, that rudder is very little. And yet it controls the direction of this big uh, cruiser or this big, you know, the, the ships that we go out on and the Disney Princess and all these big giant uh, luxury cruisers. That rudder in comparison to what it's controlling is very small. Yes. I mean, I just can't believe the amazing power of little things. And then he says in verse 5, he says, even so, or by comparison, or in the same way, he says, the tongue. A little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth or starts. And he gave us the examples and comparisons of little things like the little bit that we put in a powerful horse's mouth and a little rudder on a ship and how although in little in size it controls these massive things a, a 2,000 pound horse uh, that if anybody rode one they know that they have a mind of their own but that bridle keeps them in control gives them direction causes them to stop causes them to go makes them turn left turn right same with the rudder on a ship in other words, these things he's talking about are things that give direction and control. And then he says, even so, or by comparison, or in the same manner or way, the tongue is a little member and boasteth great things. Behold, how great a matter a little fire kindleth. So he uses the bit and the rudder. Uh, as in comparison to the amazing power that's in a little tongue. I mean, we're talking about massive ships, 2,000-pound horses, and now he's talking about the tongue and the body that it's in. And he's saying that by comparison, this is exactly how your tongue operates, just like a horse's bridle or a bit in a horse's mouth or a rudder on a ship. It operates the same way. And then to further illustrate how powerful the tongue is, he even refers to it as a fire. And this is a revelation that come to me while I was meditating on this passage of Scripture. He says in verse 6, And the tongue is a fire. And this is scary, and this is what I discovered, it is because he didn't say it was as a fire or it was like a fire. He said it is a fire. And I'm thoroughly convinced this is not a play on words. God don't play with words. He says what he means and he means what he says. And he said it that way for a reason. And the tongue is a fire, a world of iniquity. It's full of sin. So is... Again, or by comparison, so is the tongue among our members that it defileth the whole body and setteth on fire the course of nature and is set on fire of hell. Yes. Not as a fire, not like a fire, is a fire. Amen. 
James uh, 3, verse 5 in the Amp says, In the same sense, the tongue is a small or little part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. And then the Amplified comes right out and says, See by comparison how great a forest is set on fire by a small spark. By comparison of what? The bit, the rudder, a fire. Compare the tongue to these things. And what do they all have in common? They all control something and give it direction. So stop and think about it a minute. Take, take a little match or a little spark. It can burn down skyscrapers. It can set great forest fires. It can do a lot of damage. And it can be out of control. And James is telling us that our tongue is exactly like that. It's like the little bit in a horse's mouth. It's like the little rudder on a great ship. And it's like a match or a spark. Although it's little, it's amazingly powerful. And it can set on fire a forest or anything else. Uh, just like hell, he said. He compared it to hell. So don't ever under, under, underestimate. I get my tang all tangled up. Don't ever underestimate the power of little things. Just like that match or spark, it may be little, but it has the amazing power to grow into something that is big and totally out of control. And it can tremendously affect the direction of your life. I'm convinced that this is the reason that a lot of people's lives are so messed up. Now, I'm not... I, not talking about anybody in particular. I'm just saying uh, in generalities that people's lives are messed up because of this little thing right here been out of control for so many years. And uh, I'm also convinced that you are where you are in life right now. Your position in life, you are there because of that little tongue of yours. And the comparisons that James gave us, the little bit and the little rudder and the little spark, in a little match or whatever, uh, they're all little yet have amazing power to control the direction and the momentum of your life. Just like a horse is controlled by a little bit or a ship by a rudder. He said, even so, or by comparison or in the same way, your little tongue controls your life and the direction it's going in. Why would he give us all these comparisons and illustrations if that's not what he's saying? I mean, the word is simple here. He's telling us exactly what is in our tongue and what our tongue can do. And he's, he's telling us our tongue can do the same thing that a bit in a horse's mouth or a rudder on a ship can do. It can change the direction of our body and our life. Didn't he say the mature man, the perfect man or whatever? He said that he can bridle his whole body. What's that mean? He can control it. I'm going this way. No, you ain't. You're going that way. I'm going up. No, you ain't. You're going down. I'm going to bed. No, you ain't. You're going to kneel down and pray. I'm going to watch TV. No, you ain't. You're going to sit down and read the word of God. I'm going to smoke a cigarette. No, you ain't. See, this is the spirit man talking to the flesh. 
This is a mature, somebody that's mature in the word, knows what God's word says about certain things. He can control this flesh. And for years, our flesh has been out of control. So when you come to the revelation, come to the knowledge that you're getting today, and you realize that you can control your flesh, your flesh is not going to be happy. It's going to be in rebellion. It doesn't want to be controlled. It's been running amok all these years, doing whatever it wants, when it wants, eating what it wants, drinking what it wants, smoking what it wants, going to bed when it wants, getting up when it wants, working when it wants, not working when it doesn't want to. No more. I'm in charge. I think I'm getting sick. No, you ain't. Yeah, but you've seen on television, they said to buy, get your flu shots because the flu is in the vicinity. Well, he's not coming to my house. Amen. He's not coming to my door. Yeah. Amen. He's not touching this body. Right. God said, no evil will befall me, neither shall any plague come nigh my dwelling. He can't come here. He's not welcome. Yeah. That little tongue. Most people are way too careless with their words. But these things ought not to be with Christians. If we really believe what James is ta- teaching us, for that matter, what the Holy Ghost is teaching us, because James teaching by inspiration here, then we would be more careful with the things we say. I can tell, what's, I can tell who's, in con- who's in control by talking to you five minutes. You say something you know you shouldn't say. I mean, you're getting ready to open your big mouth and the Holy Ghost says, eh, 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 don't say it. And you override that and you say it anyway. And you know you shouldn't have said it. But it seemed little and insignificant at the time that you said it. But like a match or a spark, it can cause something that gets out of control. And this is how it is with little white lies. I don't believe in white lies or black lies. A lie is a lie. But it may start little, but before you know it, it's a forest fire that's out of control. It went from this person to this person, and it's causing damages and burning down people all along the way. And now you can't stop it. It's out of control. But you had control of it before you said it. And this happens more times than we'd like to think. It affects our health, our children, our relationships, our careers. It affects our life path and the direction that we're going. Uh, I, I mean, how many times have people... Just couldn't keep their peace and let their boss have a piece of their mind. And then the next weekend, they're standing in the unemployment line waiting for, to register for unemployment, or, or unemployment benefits. The words you speak, your little tongue can change your life and the people that you're speaking them to. If they embrace what you say, and believe it, it will change the course of their life. And you'll be responsible for it. That's what James was talking about. You'll be accountable for that. Verse 7, before I get too deep in trouble. says, for every kind of beasts and of birds and of serpents and of things in the sea is tamed and hath been tamed of mankind. Mankind can tame God's creation, God's creatures. He can tame them. 
But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. And because of this verse, a lot of people think that the tongue can't be tamed. That's what James said. No, that's not what James is saying. I mean, why would he be telling us all these things if we couldn't change anything? He wouldn't be. He's telling us these things because we could change things by learning how to control and tame our tongue. If we read it in context, we'll discover he's talking about me as a teacher or anybody else uh, trying to tame your tongue. Or you trying to tame my tongue. That's what he's talking about. No man can tame another man's tongue. Well, why didn't he say it that way? Well, King James is funny about that. Uh, that's why you have to meditate on things because it'll click on you. Say, well, wait a minute. That's not what he said at all. This is what he's saying. But anyway, that's why he gave us all these references to being able to tame beasts and birds and things in the sea. Because if man has the power to tame God's creatures, but not another man's tongue, then how can he help somebody? You can't. I can't help you tame your tongue. I can give you teachings like this, but you have to tame your own tongue. And you can't help me tame my tongue. You have no control of it, but I have control of my own tongue. You have control of your tongue. And the very next verse proves that. That's why I said we have to take it in context. He said, therewith bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude or the likeness of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not to be so. What shouldn't be so? Blessings and cursings coming out of your mouth. God's not happy with blessing and cursing coming out of our mouths. So he's, he's saying you can't bless God and then turn around and curse his children who are made in the likeness of God. You can cuss me. You can say bad things about me. And I'll let it roll off my back like a water off a duck's back. But you talk about my kids, my grandkids, we got a problem. God's the same way. He don't want you cursing his children. He don't want you mistreating his children. Your brothers and sisters that are sitting next to you, in front of you, behind you. He don't want you mistreating them. Don't stand up here on a Sunday morning or Wednesday night and say, Oh, Jesus, I love you so much. I praise you. You're my God, and I'm your child, and I'm so... <laughs> and then have odds against your brother and sister. That don't get it. That don't cut it with God. You can't bless him out of your mouth and then turn around and curse his children out of the same mouth. But anyway, here's my point. If blessing and cursing can come out of the same mouth, then that means what? You can control or tame your own tongue. You decide whether blessing or cursing comes out. You decide what you're going to say. And if you can't do that, then... You're lacking maturity and you're lacking 
perfection in the Word of God. You need to spend more time in the Word of God. You need to get more discipline because your body is running wild and you don't have hold of the reins. In other words, you don't have your body bridled. Your flesh is running every which way that it wants to go and you are out of control of your life. I know it's tight, but it's right. See, we choose what comes out of our mouth. We choose whether or not we want to control this tongue. We have the power and the ability. Don't think you can't. James wouldn't have said, or God wouldn't have said all these things if we couldn't change something. Well, I just can't help myself. They made me so mad I had to let it rip. Now, the only reason you let it rip is because your wife is smaller than you, or in some cases your husband is smaller than you, or the person you were talking to or let it rip on is is smaller than you and weaker than you and so you let it rip but what if that person was a trained black belt or a mma fighter or a 300 pound linebacker don't tell me you can't control your tongue because you would have bit it before you said anything to them you can tame your tongue you can control your tongue Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. Good preaching, Pastor. James is saying we can't tame another man's tongue. Uh, You can't tame mine. I can't tame yours. In other words, you can't make me say what's right. And trust me, all our lives we were correcting our children's speech. Husbands and wives are correcting each other's speech. Why? Because it's wrong. But does it work? Maybe in a rare occasion, you might listen to your wife. But on a larger scale, no. She can't make me tame my tongue. I have to want to. And then when she corrects me or I correct her, if my heart is right, I'll receive the correction. And I'll be careful about saying that again. There's times I've said things, and I know you have too, that you wish you could get back, but you can't. Even when you say you're sorry, even when you say I didn't mean it, it still hurt and the damage has been done. So what's the best thing to do? Control it in here. Don't let it out. Doth a fountain send forth, verse 11, at the same place, sweet water and bitter? Blessing and cursing, sweet water, bitter. No, it can't. It can only produce one or the other. And it's according to the source that it is connected to. If it's connected to bitter water, it will never produce anything else. If it's connected to sweet water, it will never produce anything else. And they will never produce both at the same time. It's not like hot and cold running water. They don't mix. So what do you have to do? Well, you can change what comes out of the fountain only by changing the source that it's hooked up to. If it's hooked up to a tank of poison water, you can take it off of that, put it on a tank of good purified water, flush the the lines out, and you can have pure water. But it only happens after you change the source. Now listen to me carefully. Jesus said... Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth 
speaketh. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh, or the words flow. So what kind of heart is your mouth connected to? If it's connected to a bitter, wounded, corrupt, bad attitude heart, then that's exactly what's going to flow out of your heart and out of your mouth. Then he gives another comparison. Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. I can answer that and say no. A fig tree will never produce anything but figs. Never produce an olive berry. Or any other kind of fruit. That's God's design. A vine can't bear figs either. It's going to produce grapes or something that comes from the vine. And again, it depends on the source it's hooked to. It's going to produce what's in the vine. That's why Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you had a heart like I just described, you hooked to the wrong vine. But it's going to produce, it's always going to produce, and this is James' uh, comparison, it's always going to produce from the source it's connected to. Uh, that's God's design. That's his creation. You can't change it. If your heart is pure or sweet, then pure and sweet things will flow out of it. If it's bitter or corrupt, then bitter and corrupt things are going to flow out of it. That's why after just a few minutes of conversation, I can tell what's coming out of your heart because that's what your mouth is speaking from. You may not realize it, but uh, the things you're speaking is coming out of your heart. Paul said in Ephesians 4.29, Let no corrupt communication proceed forth out of your mouth except that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace, life to the hearer. So how much corruption? None. None is allowed to come out. No cursing. What should come out of our mouths? Blessing only. If you can't speak a blessing to somebody, just keep your mouth shut until you can. And, and blessing is defined as speaking God's favor and protection. If it don't minister grace, if it don't minister God's favor and protection to somebody when you're talking, keep it to yourself. If there's one thing I've learned over the years, and especially in the past few months, is how powerful, how amazingly powerful our words are. And I also know that we are going to have the things that we say. Maybe not the day you say them, maybe not the next week or the next month, maybe even not the next year, but I have reaped things that I spoke about years ago. And as soon as they come on me, I knew I initiated with the words I spoke years ago. And, and sometimes it's about your own children. Be careful. Speak blessings over your kids. Because those words are going to come home to roost one day. Uh, so I speak blessings over my life, my family's life, 
the people I come in contact to, I've been holding my tongue a lot lately because I don't want to knowingly or unknowingly speak curses about anybody. And, and I'm not just talking about saying off-colored words. I'm saying that something that doesn't bless somebody's life is a curse. And we speak them all the time. Think about your last drive to Walmart. And if not on the drive, think about in Walmart. What you thought, maybe not said, but what you thought about people. See, I know I'm going to be held accountable for all my words. Jesus said every idle word, every idle word. See, you can't say you're healed and then complain about how, you're, how sick you are or how sick you feel or what the doctor says. Um, yeah, I asked my, uh, I went for a blood test and, you know, I had something in my blood and I said, is it safe for me to go to church and minister this Sunday? And she said, well, if you feel like it. I wasn't feeling good at the time. And I said, before I could even think about it, that's what I mean about the tongue. But thank God it was speaking truth. But right out of my heart and out of my mouth, I said, thank God I don't go by feeling. <laughs> I don't know if she understood it or what, but I knew it as soon as I said it. And I wish I hadn't have said it, but it came out, and it wasn't a curse. It was, it was a blessing to me and Pastor Red. I know maybe she didn't understand it, but it was a blessing. If, if I went according to feelings or anybody else goes according to feelings, you won't get a whole lot of things done. You get things done by overcoming feelings. And, and we don't walk by feelings or sight. We walk by faith, right? Hallelujah. But anyway... You can't say you're healed and then complain about how sick you are or what the doctor said about your illness. And you can't say, my God supplies all my needs according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus and then talk about how poor and broke and in lack that you are. That's bitter and sweet coming out of the same mouth. God said these things ought not to be so. Praise the Lord. God's word says by Jesus stripes I'm Heal. That's a blessing. A blessing just came out of your mouth. Especially if you tell somebody else, I know you're not feeling good, brother, sister, but I'm telling you by Jesus' stripes you're healed. That's a blessing. You're speaking God's favor towards them. Oh, but I feel like I'm dying. My blood pressure is off the charts. My sugar is off the charts. My bones are aching. I think I got a fever. I uh, no, you can't speak that. Either you're healed or you ain't healed. What do you believe? I hope you believe you're healed and then you'll speak because that's a curse coming out of your mouth. I mean, who do you really believe? What's coming out of your heart? Because that's what you're going to have as soon as you speak it. Uh, see, your heart is where faith is produced. That's your believer. I'm not talking about the flesh that pumps blood. I'm talking about your inner man, your spirit. That's where faith is produced. And then when you speak what you believe, that's the trigger for your faith. And it works with good and bad. If you believe that you're sick and you pull the trigger by confessing it, 
you're going to have it. I'm not saying lie. I go to the doctor, he says, how you feel? I'm going to tell him. But that's not what I believe. Amen? See, when you start doing that, your, your mouth is not synchronized with your heart. In other words, you're believing in your heart that you're healed, but your mouth keeps talking about your sickness and what the doctor said. That's not synchronized. It confuses your heart. It confuses the, the inner man where faith is developed and produced. Now your heart is confused. Wait a minute, you said you're healed, but you're not speaking the same thing. I don't know what to believe. So you can tell a lie or you can tell the truth, and your heart is going to say, eh, I ain't falling for that again. You say you're healed, but I know what you believe in here. So I ain't even listening to you. Your heart don't know who to listen to, what to believe, what to, and it's going according to what you're saying. That's why it's so important to get into God's word and meditate on God's word so your heart is saturated with God's word and the right belief system and the right faith in the right thing is being uh, developed and produced so that when you go to speak out of your mouth, you don't speak the way you feel. You don't speak what the doctor said. You speak what your heart knows. By his stripes, I'm healed. He said, he'll prosper me everywhere the sole of my foot treads. My bank account don't look like it, but I'm believing in here that I will prosper. I'm believing in here I will, uh, all my needs are going to be met according to his riches and glory. And then I hook that up with my mouth. And that's how you produce faith out of your heart. Get your heart right. Get the source right before you let the mouth flow. Uh, you can't talk death, lack, doubt, worry. Uh, you can't talk stress. You can't talk worst case scenarios. You can't talk any of that stuff. You can only talk what God says. I remember my days in the military. That drill sergeant would come into that bunkhouse, 0500, blowing a big whistle and banging on a trash can lid with a stick. You talk about rude awakenings and the rule was your feet better be on that floor in about two seconds or he'll turn you over in your bunk so thank god i was blessed enough to have a lower bunk because i just swing off the bed and let my feet rest on the floor the guy in the top bunk had to jump land on his feet and be standing there like this uh that was the rule we couldn't change it but people nowadays, they want to be woke gently. Not with a loud alarm, but a, a sweet little gentle chime that they don't hear for 15 minutes. And then when they do hear it for the first time, they, they hit the pause button five times before they finally get up grumbling and complaining. And, and they still get up all twitterbated. But anyway, I swing my feet over so they touch the floor. And I sit on that side of the bed and I would let cursings pour out of my mouth. Off-colored words and curses. And I say, oh man, I am so tired. 
I don't feel like I even slept. I ain't going to make it today. That three-mile three run probably going to kill me this morning. Man, my muscles are so sore, I can hardly move. And that obstacle course, forget about it. I ain't going to make it. I hate this place. I hate being here. And I didn't realize it because I was a little Catholic boy. I was raised a Catholic, went to catechism the whole night, had the uh, first baptism, confirmation, the whole nine yards. I knew my Hail Marys and my Our Fathers and all of that. Uh, but I had no real knowledge or depth in the Word. And I didn't realize I was cursing myself. But here I have uh, death, doubt, and fear just pouring out of my mouth. And it was against me. Thank God for grace, because it never did kill me, even though I said it would. It made me stronger. You know that song, whatever don't kill you, make you strong. But I sure reap what I was saying, because I was tired, I was miserable. My bones and my muscles were aching. I struggled with that three-mile run. I'd hide behind a tree every chance I got, catch a breath. I, I, I just had a terrible time. My attitude was all wrong. I was in pain. But without even knowing the Word of God, I come to the realization that, listen, if I'm going to make it through boot camp, I'm going to have to change my attitude. And I'm going to have to start speaking more positive and less negative. And I, like I said, I didn't even know the word. I didn't even know that uh, the Bible said that stuff. But uh, it's amazing how after that, when I changed my attitude, started speaking better things or blessings out of my mouth instead of cursings, how much better my day went after that. Instead of getting up and whining and complaining and cursing myself, I said, I'm going to overcome tiredness and sore muscles. I said, this is going to come, this is going to pass. These sore muscles are going to pass because I'm going to get used to this stuff. I'm going to burn that three-mile run up this morning. And obstacle course, you watch yourself. I'm going to set a world's record today on the obstacle course, you know. And I, I didn't just let my feet sit on the floor while I was trying to recover from not sleeping or whatever. I jumped up just like that guy on the top bunk. I was standing right alongside of him, ready to get my day and conquer it again no knowledge of the word at all but just changing my attitude changed my whole life in the army and i made it through boot camp where i really believe i wouldn't have made it if i didn't change that i may go a few minutes over today i hope you don't mind i told pastor Ed this morning now i know what jeremiah was talking about it's, the word is like a fire shut up in my bones i told her if i don't get it out i'm gonna explode didn't I? But can you see the difference between speaking blessing and cursing? God says cursing or curses should never come out of your mouth. Negative, corrupt, bitterness should never come out of our mouths. Never. Oh, the amazing power of little things, especially that tongue. Everybody knows Proverbs 18, 21 tells us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. So which one should come out? Life or death? Blessing or cursing? I'll give you a clue. Life, blessings. 
Open book test. You just passed. But here it says, Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and they that love it shall eat the fruit thereof. You're going to eat what you're spewing out of your mouth. So choose your words carefully because you may have to eat them someday. I can't tell you how many times I ate words. We call it uh, humble pie. But <laughs> it's your words coming back for you to eat. And I'm going to tell you, they don't taste good sometimes. So whatever's coming out of your mouth, make sure it tastes good when it comes back. Because you're going to eat it. So, should we let our little tongue say and do whatever it wants? No. Can we control it? Yes. Uh, Mark eleven twenty two through 24. Famous verse of scripture amongst the Pentecostals and the Haganites. Brother Hagan used to, he based his whole ministry on this passage of scripture. He says, have faith in God. Or, in the margin of my King James Bible, it says, have the faith of God. How could you have the faith of God? Would God tell you to have something if you couldn't have it? No. How many knows God never teaches in abstracts? He never teaches conf with confusion. He never tells us to do something that we can or cannot do. Uh... He tells us here to have faith in God or have the faith of God. And then in verse 23, the very next verse, he tells us exactly how to have the faith of God. This is how God operates. He said, for verily I say unto you, that whosoever shall say unto this mountain, be thou removed and be cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but shall believe those things which he saith shall have whatsoever he saith. That's the faith of God. That's the God kind of faith. Believe in your heart, speak it with your mouth, and you'll have it. Simple. This is how you can have the faith of God. This is his formula. This is how he created all creation. He believed in his heart for light, and then he spoke it. Let there be light, and there was light. That's how he created everything. He says, believe his word in your heart and speak it out of your mouth, and you shall have what you say. That's really simple. It's not abstract. It's not difficult. It's not a puzzle. It would take a Bible scholar or a theologian in conference to confuse this. It can't be confused. Yeah, but you know the Bible is hard to interpret. No, it's not. That's a lie you've been telling yourself. You need to knock that sacred cow over. The Bible is meant to be understood, including Revelation. But you can't read this and, and wonder what Jesus was saying. That's how plain it is. If you believe in your heart and doubt not and speak it out of your mouth, you will eventually have what you're saying. Because your tongue will direct and control or control and direct your life towards the thing that you believe and spoke for. 
It's not going to happen automatically. It's not going to happen like it's magic or something. But by you believing it in your heart and saying it with your mouth, your mouth, your tongue will begin to give direction to your life to get you to that place where that mountain is moved. It's what I do every morning. Uh, how many knows that we're supposed to live and walk by faith? We're instructed to. It's not an option. He said to just shall live by faith. And here's the reason. In 1 John 5 and 4, he says, For whatsoever is born of God, you're born again. You're born from above. You experience the new birth. He said, that person overcometh the world. That means anything that's in the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Even our faith. With your faith, you can overcome everything. That's why walking in faith is more important than everything. I knew I was going to be here Sunday, today. I knew I was going to be here today. No matter what they said, I would say, yes, ma'am, thank you, I appreciate that. But in here, I knew I was going to be here. And that's what I spoke. I don't, I don't do things by feelings. Hallelujah. But here's something else that's inter- interesting. Jesus told us to speak to our mountains. And, and mountains are obstacles that either hinder or slow down or stop your forward progress. You're believing in here and you're speaking out of your mouth and all of a sudden you keep coming up on these obstacles and you keep coming up on these obstacles and it's, it's the devil hindering you and keeping you from getting what you're believing and saying for. And Jesus says, speak to that thing. Speak to that mountain. Tell it to uproot itself and cast itself into the sea. You're speaking to the obstacle. It's still there, but I believe in my heart and I'm speaking with my mouth that it's going to move. That lack and poverty is going to move. That sickness and disease is going to move. That problem my kids are having in school is going to move in Jesus' name. And then God will begin to direct your spirit, and the things you're saying will begin to direct your life in that direction. And it may lead you to a school board meeting or a PTA meeting to straighten some things out in in the school or it may, it may lead you to get to the end of the word some more and find out what God says about your situation so that you know you're speaking the right things. He says, speak to your mountain. Move them by believing and saying and saying and saying. He said, whosoever should say unto this mountain, and I'm sure Jesus was pointing to a physical mountain as an illustration, as an example. Be thou removed and be thou cast into the sea and shall not doubt in his heart, but believe that those things which he says shall come to pass, he'll have it moved. It'll move. That obstacle will be moved. So your believing, again, has to line up with your saying. And your saying has to line up with your believing. The Lord is teaching us to speak against obstacles that stands between you and the desires of your heart, the things that you really want. And your words are so important. He didn't say believe what God said. He said we have to believe what we're saying. Now it helps when your saying is lined up with 
God's saying, and it helps when you're saying what God said a lot more than you're speaking what you think or what your feelings are. That's why it's so important we know the word, because when I speak to a mountain, I want to tell the mountain what God said, but it's coming out of my mouth. It's my mountain. And God didn't tell us to move the mountain. He just says, speak to it. And if you sincere in, in your heart and believe in your heart and you speak that to that mountain, God will move the mountain. That's not your worry. Hallelujah. But you must believe God's word and what he's teaching us here. That we need to have faith in our words. You know, there's so many people that lack confidence. And, and they're so down on themselves. And they're so, they feel so inferior and everything. That they won't speak at all, let alone speak boldly about something. But God is not telling us to patty cake the mountain or whisper to the mountain. He's telling you, speak to your mountain. And I bet you Jesus, in giving that illustration, was saying, he was bold. He said, whosoever say unto this mountain... Be thou removed and be cast into the sea. I know he was bold about it. You know, Jesus cursed a little fig tree, and the next day all the leaves fell off. Yeah, but Jesus didn't just curse it. He spoke to that tree. He said, you be cursed. No more fruit coming from you from this day hence. And I'm telling you, the disciples probably looked at him like he was crazy. But the next day. It was not only dried up, but it was dried up from the root. You got to get to the root of things. It's not just the illness and the symptoms that you're feeling. What's causing them symptoms? That's what you speak to, the very root of it. You want to dry it up from the root. Because if you just deal with the symptoms and the surface, the root, as long as the root is there, it's going to keep coming back. I'm going to close with one of the most outstanding examples of what I've been talking about all morning. And hopefully this will tie everything together for us. J. Iris. Everybody knows J. Iris. He was a prominent religious, a prominent well-to-do, wealthy religious leader. He comes to Jesus and the Bible says he fell at his feet. So already, I'm beginning to see some outstanding characteristics about this wealthy religious leader who was usually very pompous. You know, religious leaders are very pompous. You can't tell them nothing. They know everything. And, and they're snooty. Yes. But not this man. He fell at his feet, which shows us a tremendous amount of humility, which is always the best way to approach God. He approached God with humility. Mark said that Jairus prayed him, prayed Jesus, not prayed to him, prayed him, Lord, please. And actually pray, prayed, praying him means the raising of the heart and mind to God. So he's raising his heart and his mind to God. He don't care what it looks like in his very expensive robe and his elaborate colors and everything. He's kneeling before the master in humility. 
Luke said he besought him, which means that he entreated him, he implored him, he asked him urgently and fervently. And the definition of besought borders on the very edge of begging. But we don't have to beg God for anything. But this man is in the position and, in a, and has a heart where he's willing to beg. Just like the Syrophoenician woman trying to get Jesus to heal her or set her daughter free, deliver her little daughter from a demon, set her free. She just threw all pride and everything out the window, humbled herself, and begged him. Now, here's what he besought or prayed or tried to invoke or implore Jesus to do. Jairus said, my little daughter lieth at the point of death. I pray thee, I implore thee, I invoke thee. Come and lay thy hands on her that she may be healed and she shall live. And Jesus went with him and met and much people followed him. I mean, he's in a big crowd. It's a parade. He's going down the road, and people are pressing him on every side. They're standing on the sides of the road. It looks like the president came to town. Well, it looked like somebody famous came to town. But in Jairus' plea, you can locate his heart and his faith by what he said. My daughter lieth at the point of death. But come lay your hands on her, and she shall be healed, and she shall live. That's what he's got in his heart. That's what he's believing. He spoke it out of his mouth, and that was all it took to get Jesus to come and do what he believed and spoke. Jesus turned and went with him. But then, uh, let me see, I lost my place here. Okay, in Jairus' plea, we locate his heart. He says, my daughter is dying. That's a bad report. That's a curse. But unfortunately, it was a fact. Doctors' reports are facts based on their findings according to the test that they ran for you. And he's just stating to you what he found. That's not the final. Yeah. It's not the truth. It's a fact, but it's not the truth. So you say, thank you, doctor. I appreciate that. I'm glad you found it. And then you start developing a belief in your heart. Not in that report, but in God's report. So he'll give you a report, but it's not the truth. So we're going to stick to God's report. I mean... Is the arm of the Lord, we preached on this a couple weeks ago, is the arm of the Lord going to be revealed to you based on the doctor's report or based on God's report? Isaiah said, uh, whose report shall you believe? That's whom the arm or the power or the anointing or the healing power of God is going to be revealed. I don't want his arm revealed in that doctor's report. I want his arm revealed in the report that Jesus said by his stripes were healed. Now I want to see the arm of God move. 
And I'm telling you, it overwrites and negates any report any doctor could ever give you. And you know, I love my doctor. I don't have anything against doctors or modern medicine or medical science or anything like that. I just have more faith in what God says. But anyway, he's on his way to Jairus' house, and, and this desperate woman who was sick for 12 years comes behind him in the press and touches him. This woman, sick for 12 years, depleted of blood and everything that the blood supplies, managed to come behind him in that crowd. You talk about bulldog tenacity, Pastor Ed. She managed to get through that crowd and get up close enough to touch Jesus. She thought she was touching him on the sneak. But as soon as she touched him, the Bible said Jesus felt power go out of him. And she felt power go into her. And she was made whole of her plague, the Bible says. It stopped Jesus in his tracks. He turns around and says, who touched me? Everybody's touching him, but nobody else touched him with the touch of faith. And we could tell what was in her heart because she was saying, if I can just touch the hem of his garment, if I can but touch the hem of his garment, I'll be healed. I'll be made whole. That's what she believed in her heart. That's what was coming out of her mouth. What happened? She got what she said. She got what she believed and she said. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But anyway, that touch stopped Jesus in his tracks. Not only stopped him in his tracks, but turned him around. This is the effect that our faith has on the Lord. You touch him with the hand of faith, he takes notice. He'll stop and turn. To see where it came from. But I wonder what Jairus is thinking right now. I know what I'd be thinking. What the? My daughter is dying at the point of death. And Jesus stopped and wanted to have a conversation with this woman. This blankety blank woman. But here's an occasion for Jairus to question the word of God. Jesus was the word of God made flesh. Here the word of God is going to his house to heal his daughter. And now he stopped and he's just taking his time and saying, you know, hey, uh, you know, what's going on? You know, uh, uh, what was wrong with you? And she's confessing. She's pouring out her whole heart to him and he's listening to her. And Jairus' daughter is at the point of death. You can imagine what Jairus is feeling. But up to this point, he hasn't said anything. That's good. Because maybe Jesus is teaching Jairus patience. And that's one of the hardest lessons in the world to learn. But sometimes that's what's required of faith. Faith is patience. It takes patience sometimes. Not everything happens instantly. Maybe Jesus is teaching Jairus that delay does not mean denial. Maybe Jesus is teaching Jairus that mercy always makes room for others. It's like triage. 
You know, you might be the first one through the emergency room doors, but you may be the last one to get seen because of your condition. So Jesus knew this is this woman's last chance. Twelve years she'd been suffering. Jairus, I think we could spend a couple minutes with her. But anyway, Jairus is probably all twitterbated at this point. And then while he's talking to this woman, all of a sudden the worst thing that Jairus could possibly imagine happens. His servants come to him and he said, uh, Thy daughter is dead. No need to, tr- to trouble the master any further. No sense in bothering Jesus now. She's dead. But how many knows that didn't mean nothing to Jesus? But as soon as Jesus heard the words, he immediately turned to Jairus. I, I just picture his head snapping. Do not fear. Only believe. Don't change what you believe. Don't speak something that you don't believe. You beseeched me. You came to me. You asked me. You begged me. You implored me. You, you wanted me to come and heal your daughter. Lay hands on your daughter. Heal her so that she shall live. Jairus, that hasn't changed. Yeah, but my daughter... Doesn't make any difference. I mean, Jesus said that could it be because the words of Jairus' mouth could have caused death or life in his daughter? Death and life is in the power of the tongue. Jairus, hold your tongue. Hold your confession. Keep believing and keep saying what you started out saying. In other words, be careful what you say. Watch your mouth. Life and death is in there right now. Don't release death. It could be the difference between life and death for your daughter. Jesus is teaching Jairus that although the circumstances have changed, your daughter's no longer sick, she's dead. The circumstances have changed. My word has not changed. My word is still the same. I don't care if she's dead. I'll raise her from the dead, which he did. That didn't make any difference to Jesus. Jesus is not concerned with time itself. He's teaching Jairus that although the circumstances have changed, it doesn't change the word. It shouldn't change what you're believing and it shouldn't change what you've been saying. Yeah, but no, no, no. Yeah, but nothing. Just keep believing and saying what you've been saying. Keep believing the word and speaking the word. Now, wait a minute, Jesus. She's dead. Too late now. I don't know why you had to stop and talk to that woman. I came to you first. You was coming to my house and you stopped. And because you stopped, my daughter's dead. She'd have stayed dead. I'm going to tell you right now, she would have stayed dead. Why? Because the power of life and death was in his tongue. She was 12 years old. She was 
a minor. She was under his responsibility and authority. He controlled her life. Isn't that interesting? I mean, she's 12 years old. A woman had an issue of blood. We'll say that for another day. So Jesus would have raised her from the dead. It didn't make any difference. He did. He said, be not afraid. Do not fear, but only believe. Believe what? Believe what you've been believing. Believe what you've been saying. And keep believing it and keep saying it. The circumstances have changed, but what you believe and what you say, what my word tells you and what you say doesn't change. Keep saying, come and lay thy hands on her and she shall be healed and shall live. Yeah, but she's dead. No. No, yeah, but nothing. Keep believing. I'm still coming to your house. I'm still going to lay hands on her because that's what you asked me to do. I don't need to go to your house. I didn't need to lay hands on her. But that's what was in your heart, Jairus. That was where your faith was. And I met you right where your faith was. Because I healed a centurion's servant. And he said, you don't have to come to my house. Only speak the word. So his faith was in the spoken word. And Jesus spoke spoke the word and healed his daughter or servant from afar. He didn't have to go to Jairus' house. But Jesus obliged him because that's where Jairus' faith was. And you may not be a man or a woman of great faith, but God will meet you where your faith is. Hallelujah. Let me close this. Let me close this. So, don't ever be defeated by a bad report. Uh, just find out what God's report is. Stick with God's report. Maybe the circumstances did change. Maybe they're even worse than they were before. But that don't change God's word. That don't change God's report. If you believe his report, he will reveal his arm to you. He will show you his power and his anointing. Amen? Hallelujah. I know I went over today, but I had to get it all out or I was going to explode. I'm telling you, it was like a fire shut up in my bones like Jeremiah said. Sometimes you just can't contain it. Hallelujah. But God bless you. We love you. We appreciate you. And uh, shake all that bad stuff out of your mind and out of your heart. If there's bitterness in your heart... This is one of the lessons the Lord showed me. I had to pour my heart out before him. I had to get rid of all bitterness, all unforgiveness. And, and, and I'm a loving guy. I, you know, I don't have anything against anybody. So I thought. He took me back 20 years. Things I forgot about. Lord, forgive me. Get that out of my heart. Because if I don't get it out of my heart, if I don't get this bitterness out of my heart, it's going to come out of my mouth someday and I'm going to curse myself or somebody else. And just uh, still today, something will pop up in my mind. I'm sorry about that, Lord. Please forgive me. You know, let that person forgive me, Lord. I didn't mean that. I'm sorry. And and that'll go on until my heart is cleansed and pure. That's when I can start making things happen. Amen.
God bless you. We love you. Appreciate you. See you Wednesday and next Sunday. For sure. This concludes this message. Thank you for listening. We pray that it's been a blessing to you. For more information about FFC or its ministries, please contact the church office. God bless you, and remember, Jesus is Lord. Thank you.